You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents Monster Talks, a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as Subtext, The Projection Booth, and the Daily Meditation Podcast. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. Have you guys ever heard of the werewolf of Talbot County? In 1848, a bunch of local residents were complaining about their sheep being killed. Whole flocks slaughtered. A couple farmers got together looking for a bounty hunter to kill, you know, whatever animal was responsible. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. I was excited to discover that there was a movie based on the case that we're going to be talking about in this episode. The 2017 indie horror film Lycan is based on the premise that the case of the Georgia werewolf was true. 
And when some young people go out to investigate, they find there's more to it than just legend. If only that had been what I'd found as well. But hey, I did learn a lot. And if you stay tuned, you might too. So let's just hop right into the Monster Talk. This week's episode of Monster Talk, we welcome back a friend of the show, Blake Smith. Hey, thanks for having me, Kara. <laughs> Best friend of the show. <laughs> uh, this is exciting. I, I, I'm just back from Dragon Con where I had a, a pretty, I think, very successful uh, set of panels. It was a lot of fun. Fantastic. And did you pick up the con crud this year or did you escape it? I escaped it. Uh, two of my That's family amazing. members caught something, but not COVID. Mm. You know, it's, it is hard to be around 60,000 uh, warm-blooded, you know, breathing nerds mm-hmm. and not pick up something. Mm-hmm. So Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's very well, common. Good to have you back. And um, looking forward to this topic, we're going to be talking about Georgia cryptids. And, I mean, there are uh, quite a few of them. So we're really just sticking to, uh, to two. We're going to do two parts for this, uh, the, for this these topics. And um, you wanted to talk specifically about the Georgia werewolf. That's is, right. Is it Talbot County? It is. Talbot I think that's County? A, Tal, just Talbot County, which I think is is funny in Talbot its own County. way. We'll get into that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and also Altimahaha, the estuary monster. That's that exactly the, right. <laughs> who, who or that we had discussed with uh, Rick Spears in a, a recent episode. So yeah. we're wanting to uh, do some deep dives into these Georgian cryptids. And uh, I'm really excited about these because I have to be honest and say I had not heard of either of them until you raised them with me. Well, I was uh, had he lightly aware of the werewolf story, uh, but I had not looked into it. And then I was mm-hmm. very aware of Alti. But the last time I really looked into it, I think, was like in 2012. I was contacted by Creative Loafing, and so so was Rick Spears. And I didn't know, I didn't realize it at the time until I went back and looked at it when I was getting prepared for my DragonCon talk. I was like, oh, he and I were together in the same article, even though we were not interviewed at the same time. So I thought that was kind of funny. Small world. Oh yeah, small world indeed. Yeah. Well, let's start then with the, the Georgia werewolf, and you have to tell me everything about it because I'm. I, I've uh, resisted looking up this cryptid myself. It is an interesting story. It, you'll find it in almost any roundup of the state's monsters, especially if they came after 2010. Um, okay. And then, so it's a recent one then. Well, it didn't. Okay. So it's, it's supposed to take place in the 1800s. Uh, mm. The dates are a little loosey-goosey. Uh, the person involved, we'll get Aren't to that. Aren't they always? Yeah. But... Uh, I, I'll tell you what I like about it. There's th- there's a lot of things I like about it, and it raises some interesting questions on what sort of things you can use for evidence and what you can't. So mm-hmm. I'll just let's just sort of tell the story as it's told, uh, which okay. is, uh, and, and then we'll sort of see if there's anything there we can deconstruct. So this story is very similar to lots of werewolf stories. Uh, it starts mm-hmm. out with the prominent Burt family who live in Talbot mm-hmm. County, which is on the western side of the state, kind of in the middle between Macon and Columbus. So okay. Macon's about halfway down the state and Columbus is on the west side right next to Alabama. Um, so right in between so there is Talbot County. Kind of in the middle of nowhere. Pretty much. It's a it's a rural kind of community, not full of big cities or anything like that. Um, and it, mm-hmm. this was also true in the 1800s. Now, the story is that 
the family was wealthy, wealthy landowners, but uh, the father of the household died. And so they sent their daughter, Emily Isabella Burt, to Europe to go to a boarding school to finish her education. And uh, you'll, you'll, there's, again, there's lots of variants on this story, but uh, the, that part's core. And then she mm-hmm. goes off to, to Europe, um, the, I'm not sure what country, <laughs> and she comes back and she's this beautiful, educated young woman now. You know, she's been to the continent, you know, and her family mm-hmm. has money. So, of course, around come the suitors, right? Mm-hmm. But kind of contemporaneous to her return, the community... Uh, which, according to the folklore, is uh, consists of a lot of uh, agriculture and sheep herders. Um, the community starts mm-hmm. to see a lot of sheep being killed, and pretty quickly they realize that there is a wolf around. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, obviously, if you're a rancher, you don't want wolves killing your livestock. So the ranchers band together and decide to go on a wolf hunt. And right. They stake Is out. it too soon to ask if wolves and sheep are common to you that area? Skeptics with your naysaying. <laughs> I <laughs> let's hold on. I'm spoiling this. It story is a really good say. question, and let's we'll take that. Let's take that to the end of the story because that is an excellent okay. question. It's also one of the first questions I wanted to know the answer to. Right. Uh, because I will say that in the present day, when you're riding around Georgia, you you don't see a lot of sheep. They, they, uh-huh, they exist okay. in the state, but it. It, it, it's not a common sight. Um, all right, a clue. So so all these ranchers get together, and they take their guns, and they go out, and they wait to catch this wolf. And sure mm. enough, one night during one of these stakeouts, they see the wolf about to attack a sheep, and they open fire, and they wound the wolf. And depending on which version of the story you read, they either sh- injure its paw or they shoot off its paw. And in, in okay. several of the accounts, they, they used a silver bullet, um, uh, mm. which I Very also necessary. think is a little bit of a tale. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Um, so the next day, uh, the Emily doesn't come down for breakfast, and they go check on her, and she's in bed, and she's hiding her hand. You know the story. They finally like get it, pull it out, and she's been shot, or possibly has lost her hand. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's it's too much of a coincidence. It was her. It was her. Every <laughs> suddenly it all becomes obvious. She mm-hmm. came back from Europe, and what she learned at boarding school was apparently how to turn into a wolf and kill sheep. Or maybe yeah. she was out walking on the moors and got bit. It's unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But she fe- brought it back. She brought it back. So now there's a fear uh, that you know it's still the 1800s. It's and it's not our enlightened present. So. There's the real possibility that she's going to get uh, killed, you know, or something. Mm-hmm. So the family, out of a, an abundance of caution, send her to Europe for a cure. And they find a, a doctor in Paris who know, who specializes in treating lycanthropy. And, uh, yeah, you know, as you know, you know how the French are. Um, and yeah. <laughs> so, well, that makes me wonder if that's not where she'd gone to, if she'd gone to France in, in the first place to be yeah, educated. You gave her lycanthropy. Now take it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, so she goes away to Europe again, and then she comes back apparently cured. There's no further wolf attacks. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. what exactly they did to treat her is not part of the narrative. And then she okay. lives to a ripe old age and passes away in 1911. Uh, although folklore says that the even though the wolf was removed from her, the, that wolf spirit, uh, that it is said to still roam the countryside of, of Talbot County. Uh, and uh, if you visit the graveyard, you might see a wolf-like shadow, that sort of thing. Um, and there is a... Scary. Well, it is. It is. And there's a photo <laughs> that you'll see repeatedly published with this story, uh, which clearly is some sort of vintage photo of a woman. I And, and I don't know who. Um, yeah, it could be a stock image of some kind. Yeah. Or, but uh, well, Do we know if the family existed and if Emily... Ex- excellent question. Interested. So, so uh, this is cool because um, uh, I was able to. There's some really cool historical material about the state of Georgia that's kept at the uh, Cobb County uh, Central Library. They have a room they mm-hmm. call the Georgia Room, which is full of all kinds of facts and figures and historic maps and lots of books written by Georgia authors. So it turned out that I had to go there twice during this investigation. And one time okay. was to verify that, yes, indeed, the dates and the times do match the existence of a family there at this at this time. And that wow. I, I, I was able to find out that this name, Emily Isabella Burt, is a real person. And she really did mm-hmm. die in 1911. Not only did she die in 1911, but she died in Marietta, which is like just a few miles south of me. Uh, oh, okay. she, she had been traveling and then got sick and then passed away at a friend's house. So we have her oh, okay. obituary. So it wasn't anything connected to, I don't know, rabies or something. Rabies or <laughs> silver poisoning like or anything like that. No, up, yeah. choked on <laughs> mutton. No, none of those things. <laughs> but of course, it could be the case... And I've seen this before where someone has just located uh, a, a true historical family and an individual and they've pasted that onto the story to well, legitimize yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I, that's kind of the, the way I'm thinking about it is is because if we took out Emily Isabella's name and we mm-hmm. took out the part where she kept having to go back and forth to Europe, like she, let's just put her in Europe, right? If she's not traveling back and forth to the United States and she's just a nameless woman, then this is identical to at least a dozen werewolf stories I've read. Like it's right. I, like beat for it's, beat. Yeah. It's, the it's same. got all the hallmarks of a yeah. typical werewolf story. Yeah. And it specifically has all the hallmarks of a, of a late 1800s werewolf story. By that time, I think the folklore about what would a normal werewolf be like, the tropes, if you will, right, were, were right. pretty firmly entrenched in the folklore. Um, and, mm-hmm. th- and I think some of that has to do with the fact that the, the, the Brothers Grimm had published a lot of German stories that were previously you know, obscured to some of the English-speaking world by the language and be- mm-hmm. because they were oral tradition, not written. But once they got them into print, Suddenly, well, now not only did you read werewolf stories, but you knew how to write one. You know, <laughs> so. right? Sure, yeah, you got the template. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I think uh, I think the silver bullet thing is is a little bit of a tell, though. That that tells me mm-hmm. because based on my research, uh, which I I just talked about, how that I found a story with a silver bullet and a werewolf curse that is in the 1930s. So it's a little bit before mm-hmm. the Wolfman. Uh, but you still right. you don't find silver bullets killing werewolves before the 1900s in my experience, 
you if you do what yeah. you're seeing is a new story that's retelling an old story. In other words, like uh, right. you see a lot of them. This is a story that took place in the 1700s, but it's written in the 1940s or 50s, right? Yeah. So so they'll stick in on. the silver bullet because they know silver bullets had to be used. Only that wasn't true back then. You know, right. there was a time when an axe or a sword or a good torch would be about all you needed to take out a werewolf. But uh, werewolves, yeah, powers well, and weaknesses have changed over the past hundred years. So, mm-hmm. yep, and it adapted. And I think uh, no one's done more research into the silver bullet werewolf trope and uh, theory than you. I think you've done a lot. I wonder about that a lot. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I probably have enough material to put together a nice, um, like a monograph. Monograph, mm. that's it, not a monogram. That's a letter on a sweater. A monograph. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you need to do that. It's added to the list of things that you need to do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've promised myself I'm not going to take on any new projects this year, though. I'm going to try to close out some stuff. So, As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We'll see. Yeah, got a couple of months left to go. I do. (laughs) Well, what? So so on this project, um, to try to run down where the story came from, I I, I started off, you know, just there's sort of a a good research trick is to go to Google Books and then you can Mm -hmm. look for phrases and then you can also narrow down the dates. So in this case, okay. I was able to say, well, let's say, was there any story about uh, Emily Isabella Burt before 1950, you know? Mm-hmm. Bef- right. How about from 1950 to Anyway, you keep doing that. And eventually, I found the first published version of this story. And okay. it was not published until 1996. 
And it was wow, that recent, very recent, because it does sound like an old story. And there's again this photo that's that's floating around the internet that was not in the book. I don't know how that got associated with the case. So, um, well, you'd think there would be newspaper clippings. Well, you would, wouldn't you? You know, like uh, you know, sheep killings continue or any none of that. That none of that's there. Yeah. Just references in other books yeah. that predate. Yeah, also true. Exactly. I mean, it's a big deal when someone is publicly accused of being a werewolf, and you know. So I mean, even I mean, if you look at the gossip, I mean, there's newspaper articles about people having a visitor from out of town. It's like a big deal. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy reading some of those old newspapers and just the stuff that seems trivial to us. Yes, today. it was um, very much local news. Like unless you get yeah. to like the big city stuff, it was, you know. Yeah. Pastor Jordan gave a really great sermon last week, and Mary <laughs> Mary Gate made a cake. You know, like it's just it's <laughs> there, it's some really <laughs> or, just telling the lives of people of the time. Exactly, so, yeah. So it's, it's rather sweet. It, it is. I like it a lot. I believe me. And uh, once again, thank you to our patrons for giving us the money that we use to pay for our newspapers dot com subscription and all these research things. So absolutely, yeah, it's better than reading about mass shootings and muggings and stuff, right? Absolutely. Now, the other thing I'll say that was continuously repeated on the websites was this idea about go visit the grave or if you visit the grave this or visiting the grave that. Well, let me tell you, she's a real person. She really lived. Mm -hmm. She really died. Her obituary suggests she was an upstanding citizen and Um, well-respected. This grave is real. You can find photos mm-hmm. of it. It's in a private cemetery on private land, and you can only visit it legally by arrangement with the landowners. There's uh, no reason to do that. Uh, this story mm-hmm. comes mm-hmm. out in 1996 with no precedent. Uh, I think, Bye. you know, th- if you're legend tripping, you know, mm-hmm. try to go visit a legend where it's not clearly made up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's- that could be hard too. <laughs> so. uh, but no, I think that's a really good point to make because uh, a lot of people hear about these stories and immediately want to go and, and investigate, relive the experience, legend trip. And uh, it can certainly be dangerous and illegal to go and do that. So, exactly. Well, uh, it, those it, private cemeteries are so interesting too. Oh, they, they are. And I, I mean, seem to it, find a lot of those in the South. I think this one's owned by a hunting club. Um, it's a long drive even for me, and I live in Georgia. I mean, Georgia's a big old state. It's it's uh, it's it's it is it's it's, it's it a is. long way to go unless there's something to go for. And I believe it's, mm-hmm. it's, it is. We'll talk about in our next episode. Uh, you know, I'm willing to do some road trips for, for some monsters. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem. I just need there Absolutely. to be something to go for. There has to be. You know, at one point, yeah, had, this is a little thin. This story. Well, I I had an idea for an app one time, and I still think it's a good idea, although I don't have the time for it. But uh, it was the idea of taking um, geolocation, Wikipedia, and sort of the kind of work like they do at the the Gorilla Skeptics on Wikipedia. But the mm-hmm. idea of taking a a, a a guide app to take you to places but if they're they're like right. for legend tripping only they give you the the skeptical view as well as the legend so you get both and I, that's a fantastic I, idea i know what i love about it is you call it reason to go because it's do i have a reason to go and also while i'm there let's use some reason and decide whether this is real or not. I, so, 
I love that. Yeah, you need it, to it, do that it's too. A, Add that to the list too. It, it should be real. It should, <laughs> it, 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 it's a very practical thing, although it'd be a lot of work. The the, the data is all there. The APIs are there. It's a good idea. Yeah. Someone will probably come out with it. I and I I would be happy point. for it to be open source. I don't I don't care about that. I just I would like it to be a real thing. So when I I don't mm-hmm. have to every single time I go where is this? Wait a minute. Who's done work yeah. on this already? You know, because the like if you could reference Skeptical Inquirer and you know Skeptic Magazine mm-hmm. and other researchers, I mean, it could be a really mm-hmm. nice database of of yeah. real real places where people do go legend tripping. But now you can sort of check fact check kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That'd be right. nice. No, great idea. So, we're, regarding uh, Emily's uh, obituary, so you said that she was noted to be a fine, upstanding member of society, and that again just seems to play into the idea of this kind of, I guess, like a post-diction in a sense, where uh, someone's wanted to find more information to uh, to bolster the story and to legitimise it, and so they've come across this person who was well known at the time and and tack the story onto them. Yeah, it almost feels mean spirited. Like like it it the fact that I can't find out who originated the story is a great annoyance to me. Now, mm. Nancy mm. Roberts, the author, has passed away. She wrote a lot of ghost books. I believe she uh, is a, uh, I believe, if if I remember correctly, that she had sold more than a million copies of various ghost books. She wrote a lot of them. Wow. Wow. Um, I have heard of the name. I don't think I've read anything by her, though. I mean, and she's a good writer. She's gone. And uh, I wonder if there's any links in the book that might lead to someone else who knows something about it. But, yeah, that is frustrating to just have a a dead end like that. Well, Uh, her daughter. No intended. No, also. (laughs) Her daughter is in charge of her literary estate at this point. And her daughter is a lawyer and oh, I, I wasn't able to find, I, well, I don't want to mess with her. I just wanted to find out if there were any notes about where this story originated. So I don't know. I, I did write to her. I haven't heard back, but I was, I was hoping maybe oh, great. if she had her mom's Very notes, thorough. she could at least find out where they came from. But, but while I yeah. was there, so I, I didn't have a copy of the book. I went to the Georgia room at the Cobb County central library and okay. they had a copy of Georgia Ghost there. So I was able to get the pages I needed. And But while I was there, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I've got this book and there's no index or sources or information about where this story came from. Right. But there are other ghost stories in here and at least one of them I'm familiar with. So let's see how she wrote that one up. Right. You know, so I, I basically okay. took it. Yeah. And so it was the story of the Kennesaw House, which is a, uh-huh. uh, a uh, I think it was originally like a boarding house by the railroad tracks in Marietta. Um, right now okay. it houses a museum. Um, cool. But th- there's a very famous ghost story about people going to visit the Kennesaw House and they're going to go up to see the museum, but they press uh, the basement button by mistake. And they go down into the <laughs> cellar. By mistake, right? Yeah. And when they go down into the basement, instead of a storage area with boxes or the sort of things they would expect to see, they instead mm-hmm. see a horrific hospital scene of Civil War doctors working on patients, sawing off limbs, agony, wow. scream, blood splatters. And they, you know, they jump back in the elevator and go up. And, yep. and then, of course, nobody knows what they're, you know, it's, it's, there's no proof that happened, right? So that's such an imaginative story, though. I love it. Oh, it's a good one. It's got time travel and everything. 
Yeah. But much like, remember when we did the Watertown Ghosts and I said, you know, these heads would have been 15 feet across and that's not part of the story. <laughs> you know, yes, yeah. it's like, well, part of this story should have to include also there's no basement. Uh, so the first thing I noticed when I went oh, into the elevator, the there is go. no basement. Mm. There's no basement button. It's built on a slab. Mm. You know, it's it, it's not a place you can go down into the basement. So what uh, an excellent point. Yeah. And so <laughs> that basic level of fact checking was not part of Nancy. Mm-hmm. But she's, I, she didn't uh, present herself as a factual ghost story person. She t- presented right. herself as a, I'm sharing the lore. So and, Right. Well, that's fair enough, too. Yeah. Because so I, it's good to have this recorded. It is, and I just don't know. Did someone tell her this story, or hmm, did she just make it up? To her. You know, I, I I'd like to believe it was told to her, but again, I haven't found it in print anywhere else. Um, well, yeah, for her to to have a collection of stories, Georgia ghosts, it's very likely that she was sourcing stories from locals and old timers, and mm. that someone told her that, and she just retold it without that's having a very any good point. information. That's a very good point. You know what it might be that this is a real possibility. There are lots and lots of local ghost story writers who produce private volumes that aren't scanned by Google. They're like they sold them gift shops for a dollar or two dollars, you know, like almost like, you know, perfect. I didn't know that. Yeah, they're like, you know, they're uh, like uh, pamphlets. They're they're, they're like short pamphlets for five bucks or whatever, you know. So interesting. um, Okay, it's possible she picks it up from something like that, which would not be in the digital archive anywhere. Um, Right. But I haven't come across it. So if anyone out there has something that predates this book with the Georgia werewolf, I would love to hear about it. I would not call this case closed because mm-hmm. I'm still curious about that origination. And uh, I would say cool. a couple things I about the sheep. Mm-hmm. Georgia right. is not known for its sheep herding. Mm-hmm. There are people who do raise sheep in the state and apparently always have, but it's just not a big part. But agriculture and Mm -hmm. uh, animal husbandry, and these things change over time. So like when we we talk about Alti uh, in in our next episode, um, Mm -hmm. there's a thing about like a lot of where Alti swims around is former rice paddies. And you you don't see a lot of rice being grown in Georgia today, but there was a time when the t- state uh, did a lot of rice growing. There was a time when the state experimented with uh, trying to grow silk by having uh, moths okay. brought in. There's a lot of weird oh, thi- well, things. You yeah. know, we've had a lot of things tried here. And the other one is, I I mean, historically, maybe wolves were here at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I have not found anything. This might be where I suddenly have to do an insert with an, a, a, a whoops, I was wrong. But I don't believe... Right. <laughs> Uh, that there was a big population of wolves in Georgia in the 1840s, 50s, 60s in that in that era, especially not around right. the Civil War time, because mm-hmm. hello, uh, there's all these you know what do they call them soldiers running through? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like there's a big war. Sort of made it. There were there were massive. Uh, I mean, it, this whole state looks different now. Okay, here's that quick insert. I was able to do a little more research and got some definitive answers about these questions. So first, the sheep. I found several newspaper articles about sheep being tried out in Georgia. It was an experimental thing. And as a couple of samples, one herd started out with about 100 sheep and got to around 300 at the time the article was written. With the rancher in question expecting to continue to grow his herd and expounding on the economic benefits and expected profits. Another article talked about a very large herd in central Georgia with about a thousand sheep. But these may be outliers, and at present, there are only about 10,000 sheep in the entire state, and it doesn't seem that sheep were ever a very large business in Georgia. 
But any contrary evidence would be welcome, so please send it along to Blake at MonsterTalk.org if you find some. As for wolves, I found two stories in the very late 1800s about gray wolves being found in the area. One was in Alabama and the other in Georgia. And these were outliers and notable at the time because of the unusual act of finding a wolf. I also found out that long ago the native red wolf once roamed the entire eastern U.S. but has since been reduced to a tiny population in the Gulf Coast which will likely face extinction in the next 50 years unless things change for them. And in the intervening century, invasive coyotes have moved into the state to fill the niche that would have otherwise been the wolf's domain. And our patron supporters can read these articles which I've attached to the show notes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. There's huge pine forests, which I think modern people probably think, oh, there's a lovely, you know, tall, white Georgia pine forest. Well, most of those pine forests are one of two things. They're either recently planted uh, pine forests that were put there by the paper companies uh, that they will, mm-hmm. you know, they, they burn through them every 30 years or so. And they, they don't right. burn them, they turn them into paper. But the, the other part of that is the old cotton fields uh, have uh, turned back into okay. forests. And in about mm. 30 years, 30 to 40 years, if you leave a field in Georgia alone, it will become a pine forest. And then <laughs> after about 80 to 100 years, it'll start to become a hardwood forest. So those pine wood forests are what are left over from the Civil War. And there's a lot of them that are starting to become mixed hardwood wow. and pine wood. Um, but, yeah, that's um, changed over a couple hundred years. It has changed. I mean, there's a lot of things in this state that haven't changed that really should, but the the landscape's not <laughs> one of them. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> uh, well, those are all really important points that do make us uh, question the validity of the story. But nonetheless, it's certainly an interesting story. And uh, just those little tidbits and the, the parts that seem like they could be true certainly make it fascinating yeah it's got lots of real world anchors but yet seems to be made of of vapor um but uh if anything changes you'll hear about it here on monster talk yeah (laughs) well i'll tell you what i think our uh listeners will will have probably have a number of people who want to look into this and might uh unearth some more information so we're we're all ears Uh, exactly all right uh let's uh call this episode over then and we'll uh, meet back next week Sounds good. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard my preliminary findings from my research into the case of the Georgia werewolf. As a reminder, I'll be presenting my talk on Georgia cryptids again in person at the Forsyth County Library on October 15th. If you can't make it, we'll be discussing quite a lot of the content from that talk in our next few episodes, so don't fret. But if you can't make it, do please say howdy. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, 
you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. At Monster Talk, we don't believe in much, but we believe in you. Keep up the good fight, and thanks for making our show a part of your listening life. a monster house presentation this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 7 customer support his venue never misses a beat call quickgranger.com or just stop by Granger. For the ones who get it done.